Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hella Latino. I'm so excited today. I'm talking to Andrea Navedo, a Bronx-born and raised Puerto Rican-American actress and author and somebody y'all might recognize from Jane the Virgin. Andrea, like many of us, didn't get to see many positive portrayals of Latinas in the media, so when she had the chance to play a role like Xiomara, well, she's going to tell you all that she's in this episode. Andrea is also the author of In Our Otherness Is Our Strength, Wisdom from the Boogie Down Bronx, where she shares bits of her story, her reflections, confessions, memories, and most of all, the hard-earned lessons that remind us all that our hood, our ghetto, it's actually the breeding ground for our self-actualization. Hence, our otherness is our strength. I cannot wait for y'all to listen to this episode. Let's get into it. It's truly so, so beautiful. De una. Yes, 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 yes. I have to start off by saying that when I got the email and I saw your name, I was like, wait, that name sounds so familiar. And <laughs> I looked you up and I was like, oh my God, it's Yomara. But honestly, I have to, I really have to start this conversation by saying thank you for being a representation, such a positive representation of Latina, something that we didn't, I mean, I didn't grow up watching it. I know you didn't grow up watching it on TV. And to be able to sit there with my mom, who doesn't speak English, but she's enjoying it as a novella. She's seeing Jaime Camille. She's seeing beautiful, powerful women who are just like her. It's just, it was a beautiful sight to see. So I just want to say thank you for doing amazing work. Thank you. Thank you for thanking me. Thank you for watching. And um, I'm grateful that it had the impact that that it had on me, on other people. So even just being in it, it had a very similar impact. It was what I needed when I was growing up. I needed a show like this. And, it, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways it put Latinos on the map, even though we've been here all along and there have been plenty of other Latinos, obviously, you know, doing well. But I think a show that surrounded an entire Latino family, but wasn't billed as a Latino show was important, that they were just people, they were human beings, having a human life, human experiences. And it was done with humor and respect and, and intelligence. And I was just very proud to be a part of it. Oh, well, we're going to dive deep into all of that and your story. I want to start with the first question that we have on this platform, and it's all about identity, right? Like, how do you identify and why? And I have to tell you, I've had more than 100 guests, and no one's answered that question the same, which I think is very beautiful, and it kind of shows our community, right? So how do you, Andrea, how do you identify and why? Well, I mean, I, I see myself as Latina, you know, when I was growing up, I don't even know that that word ex- existed. I think it was Hispanic. I like Latina, but, you know, I'm not very particular about the labels that are associated with being Latina, but I do identify with my cultural roots, which is in Puerto Rico, but also of Hispanic origin, of African origin, of indigenous origin. So those all are a part of me. And it's taken me a while to to appreciate it because I wasn't educated so much as a little girl uh, about it. Maybe a little bit. My parents sent me to Puerto Rico, which I, I wrote about in my book. And that was a great gift that gave me that they have no idea how important that gift was to me or for me. And I just, you know, growing up in in the United States in particular, but it could be you know, any country that you're not originally from, your family's not originally from, it can be hard to trying to assimilate and find and assimilate into the culture, but at, at the same time, maintain your own sense of uh, self from your origins and, 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 and feel like you belong in the, 
you know, original place when maybe you weren't born there, but people will relate to you as if you were. Um, and then being like, for me, being American, like, I didn't feel American. What the hell is American anyway? <laughs> so yeah. Part. <laughs> yeah, that part. I mean, I'm I'm proud to be American too. I mean, yeah, as crazy as the world is right now, and and yeah. won't go into that. But you know, just I when I see what my family has been able to do here with their journey from Puerto Rico, and you know, establish themselves and be good parents and law abiding citizens and all that, you know. I'm proud of them. Yeah. You know, you remind me so much of a previous conversation I've had on here where, you know, this guy, Antonio, who adore him, he is a big, big deal at Intuit. And he talked about in the 70s how he didn't feel like it was cool enough to be Latino. And he's like, you know, there's a part of him that feels like there's not envy, but there's just a sort of like, damn, I wish I had that like pride in being Latino as this generation does now. He's like, back in yeah. my day, like we didn't learn Spanish. And I know you have a story with speaking Spanish. Like, tell me about yeah. your your story, your journey with Spanish. Sure. So, you know, my parents were technically first generation here. I think they were born in Puerto Rico, but they pretty much grew up in New York, New York City. They had trips back and forth to Puerto Rico, but so, and at the time when they were growing up, particularly for my mother, because my mother was the same coloring as me, maybe even a little bit darker. And my father was very fair skin, blue eyed, a little easier for him to navigate the world. But for my mother, growing up in the 50s and 60s was a, a time of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a time of flag waving, let's say. It wasn't Puerto Rican flag waving. Yeah. It was assimilated into the culture. Don't, you know, don't draw too much attention, speak mm. clearly in English, don't speak the native tongue, you know, that kind of thing. It was because you didn't want to be judged or have racism, you know, against you. And, and my mom was called a dirty spick, a greasy spick, uh, all kinds of wonderful things. So there was an embarrassment at the time, you know, because they were because they weren't accepted. And I mean, even like West Side Story is is sort of embodies that story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's a drama and all that, it embodies what was happening at the time. And so, so for my mom in particular, and my mom was probably the biggest influence on me growing up, uh, she always spoke to me in English, even though she could speak Spanish, but she actually was more comfortable speaking in English. And my father spoke to me in English as well. And my mom was a stickler for English grammar. She was like, you're going to speak well. We're not going to sound like idiots. <laughs> we may not have a lot, but we're going, we can carry ourselves with pride and intelligence mm-hmm. and speak well. And so in a way, you know, I'm grateful for that because it certainly has helped me in my career. Even just talking with you now, like being able to speak well is, is, is an asset. But, but when I was 11, they sent me to Puerto Rico. And it was the first time I'd ever been. And it was by myself, just with my my father's mother, my grandmother. And I, I got to meet family and most of them didn't speak English. They started talking to me in Spanish. And I, I was like, I, I, I didn't understand. And I didn't know how to mm. respond. And I remember because I this was the catalyst for me to learn Spanish. <laughs> I remember my my grandmother's, she looks at me and she goes, Ay, que vergüenza que ella no habla. Mm. And I could tell, even though I didn't know exactly what she was saying at the time, I could tell by her demeanor that she was just looking down on me. And I was so embarrassed and it was so painful for me because in a way I felt like I was going back, I was going home, but it was never my home. I would never been born there. I had never been there, but I was excited to go and I wanted to be accepted. And in a way I wasn't because I didn't speak the language. So in a way, language has been important for me to to claim my cultural roots and my cultural identity by learning it. And, you know, I'm not 100% fluent, but I could hold a great conversation. I can understand it very well. I can read it and, and all that. And it's still a work in progress, but I'm proud of myself for doing that. And, and, it, and I gave that gift to myself of being able to speak Spanish. Amazing. You know, after reading your book, I feel like that's not the first time that you show this like 
determination to make something happen. And I think like, as you're talking about even just learning Spanish, I feel like in your book, you kind of talk about how you had this dream and this vision to maybe it wasn't as clear to like represent culture and represent this cultural identity. But I think like each experience kind of led you to Jane the Virgin and even what you're doing now, giving back to the community. And it's this beautiful story where I feel like your purpose was so much bigger and like you're kind of finding these little puzzle pieces like, okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That. And then you kind of, you're so determined. This is like that Latina badass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny because growing up, I was very meek as a child and, you know, and I grew up in a tough neighborhood and being meek just, just doesn't cut it. You you know, so you either sink or swim and, you know, I had to grow a tougher skin in order to, to grow up in the South Bronx. And I was never a toughie. I could never like get into an argument. I could, I could act it, (laughs) but but I could never like really have the cool comebacks. And like, I wasn't one of the cool kids. I was basically a nerd really, Mm. but, but it was, I'm I'm grateful for those, those tough experiences. (laughs) I forgot what you said. Oh, the, the balance, the Latina balance. Yeah. And that like how, like, that's why I, I, the book, Our Otherness is Our Strength, why I wrote that, because I wanted to to demonstrate how what, what can seem like negative experiences that you wish didn't happen could actually be the very thing to help you in the future, to groom you if you if you let it or if you choose to to let it. And so for me, like the shame of not speaking Spanish and not feeling like I belonged as a Latina or as a, as a Boricua, Puerto Rican in Puerto Rico. It was the catalyst for me to claim my own identity, to to find it, to explore it, and to learn the language, yeah. to learn salsa, how to salsa and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> so it's important. I think that's really, really important for all of us, no matter what country you come from, to if you're growing up in, in the States or whatever country that you, you go back and you tap into some of that stuff because you can find strength and you can find wisdom in it. Oh, absolutely. One thing that I say often on the podcast, and it, it comes from my dad, he used to always tell us, si no sabes de donde vienes, nunca sabrás a donde vas. Like, if you don't know where you came mm-hmm. from, you'll never know where you're going. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Is you that. went back and you're like, mm, like, this is part of me and this is my strength. And I actually want to go back and talk about little Xiomara. Little Xiomara. <laughs> See me? <laughs> little Andrea. <laughs> Little Andrea yeah. growing up in what did you say? You said the boogie down in the Bronx. burning South yeah, Bronx. The boogie down Bronx, yeah. <laughs> but there was a burning part there, and there's a history there that I don't know if people who are listening know. But can you give us kind of this picture of what it was like to grow up in the boogie down Bronx as this sure. little girl, Puerto Rican, feeling meek, feeling shy, feeling like you weren't built for the streets just yet? Right. So I was born in 69, so everybody could do the math. It wasn't quite, so I was, you know, I, when I was a little girl in the 70s, and in the 70s, at the time I wasn't aware of it, but I learned as I got older that, you know, that the, there was an economic downturn in New York City. There was, you know, and, and whenever that happens, who gets hit the hardest are the, the working class, the people who are just trying to, you know, make ends meet. Many times people of color, unfortunately, because of the system as, as it's set up. And so the value of the buildings in the Bronx was plummeting. I guess people couldn't pay rent, whatever the case was. And the uh, landlords wouldn't take care of the buildings. They didn't care about the buildings. They were, didn't care about the tenants living in there. And what started to happen was a series of arsons throughout the Bronx, And these arsons turned out were committed by the landlords because they felt that they would get more value out of the insurance money if they burned them down. And so what ended up happening was the Bronx, or really the South Bronx is more that area, just was in rubble. It looked like a war zone. Like literally you could Google it and say, you know, burning Bronx, and you'll see these black and white pictures of buildings in rubble with little kids standing out on the street. And it looks like a third world country. So when I was little, I wasn't growing up in that area until I moved to the South Bronx in middle school. 
And, and I, I moved into that area and it was the first time I got to live in a nice building. It was all rehabbed from the rubbled buildings, but next to it and surrounding it on the surrounding blocks were buildings in rubble. It looked like a war zone. Wow. And so, you know, it was like, wow, is this what I'm worth? Is this what all of us are worth? Like, is this the way we're supposed to live? Is this what it means to be Latino in the United States or in New York City? Is this is this what this is? You know, it was a huge message to me subliminally. And you know, it's so funny. I didn't talk about this in the book, but one of my escapes was Little House in the Prairie. I don't even know if you know that show. Uh, but yes, it was I do. about this pioneer <laughs> family. And they were so tying this little pioneer family. So I mm. used to go to middle school in Hunts Point, the Bronx, and I would run home after school. And this is like several miles <laughs> to go catch Little House on the Prairie because it was my escape. It was my escape from my immediate surroundings where I got to see these people living in peace and some like like birds and trees. <laughs> girl, oh my girl. God. <laughs> and yeah. how, I mean... I know, and this is what the whole premise of this podcast is about, is how you feel sometimes like there's not enough options. Like when you're growing up, right? When you're so young, it's like for me, I used to watch like people in my family. Now I grew up with a very strong, amazing women who also felt like they didn't have options. So all immigrants and all were young mothers or they were, you know, kind of told to be a certain way, like told to work, work hard, be a mother, serve your man. Like it was a lot of those stereotypes Mm -hmm. didn't take away from their strength, but it was kind of those stereotypes. And for me, cleaning houses with my mom at 13, I'm like, is this, is this what it is? Is this what life is? Is this Mm -hmm. what it all is? And then, you know, you would see TV and you would, I would dream of one day being somewhere in that space. Like, how can I be a voice? How can I be in that space? Or how can I see myself in that space? And you know, we would get glimpses of it in my generation. We would get Sofia Vergara or we would get JLo, but still not as, it didn't feel like it was culture. It felt like we saw a person that represented the culture, but we didn't see culture on TV but we forget there's a whole Latino community in the U.S. that are also speaking both and navigating both cultures. And I feel like it's an example of what that looks like for you mm-hmm. growing up. What was it like to see the lack of representation in media? Like, how did you how did you navigate it? And when did you know, like, I want to be there? I want to be an actress. Well, ever since I was little, I, I knew I wanted to be an actress. It just wasn't something that I, I shared with anyone. I just loved mm-hmm. watching people living these lives, pretending, you know, in, in these like amazing situations. And I wanted to be part of that. I just didn't think it was a possibility for me. Mm-hmm. And I did feel on some level like like I was invisible in the sense that I didn't really see myself up there. And, you know, does that mean, so what did I see though? What did I see? And what I saw were mainly rich, successful white people. That was the predominant or blonde blue eye. That was like the thing that was considered beautiful. And, you know, I, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I will admit it. When I was little, I was so proud that my father was blue eyed and light skinned. Isn't that terrible? Wow. And that's something that is ingrained in us in colonialistic mentality, Mm. where I remember my mother saying that when she was growing up, there was a saying or expression that people would say, levanta la raza, Mm. which Mm -hmm. meant to marry white or higher class. (laughs) It's just so like self-hatred, you know, all of that stuff. (sighs) And that's all ingrained in us. And that's why it's been really important to me to embrace my my Latino culture, the entirety of it, and explore it and learn about the history and learn the language and all of that stuff just to get back some more of my own sense of self-worth and value, right? So so that was really, really important to me. And I forget what the question was. But <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a conversation. It's a conversation about like that moment where you're like, I want to be an actress. I want to be on TV. Yes. Right. So, you know, I kept that secret to myself up until my freshman year of college. And that was when I decided to get out of my comfort zone, 
go against the fear inside of me and audition for a play. And I, next thing you know, I was declaring theater as my major and I graduated with a four-year degree and went right into my acting career immediately as soon I couldn't wait to graduate. I was just like chomping at the bit to sort of make my way in the entertainment world. <laughs> I I want to first acknowledge what you were talking about earlier about feeling almost this like shame around how you look, right? Like it's mm-hmm. It's something that is ingrained in Latinidad. And I think that sometimes it's up to us to change that. And we, I feel like we really are slowly sure. paso a paso. Yeah. And, you know, just to empathize with you, I remember my my mom is darker than me. She's probably probably your color, a little darker. And I used to grow up saying like, mami, quiero tu color, quiero tu color, un cafecito. I used to say that all the time to her. And the one thing that she would tell me every single time was, no, vos estás blanquita y bonita. Uh-huh. And those terms like stayed with me, blanquita y bonita, blanquita y bonita. And I had a moment with my mom. I was like, I hope you love your skin color. People pay money mm-hmm. to be that skin color now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, but it yeah. is that self-hatred or that white is privilege, white is opportunity, white is access. And I feel like, again, it's it's a narrative that I think our generation, especially in the United States, is really changing. But a mejorar la raza, sure. unfortunately, that I feel like is so ingrained in that colonial type of thinking right. and you know, generational. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so now on another level, I think about it in this way. As as mammals, we are our brains are set up to look for danger all the time. And we're also set up to stay as a group to, you know, safety in numbers. And so when there's someone out of the group our brains, our primitive brains will go up, danger, oh, danger. That's not right. That's not right. And so whoever's in power, you know, it could, it, you know, there was a, when I was growing up and I don't know if you know, this is probably going to really age myself. There was this TV show called the twilight zone and it always had these like weird, like storylines. So this one was a storyline about this society of people but they had pig faces and Mm. every, and then there was this little, this, this little girl or or a white girl, like, and, and she was growing up in this society and she wasn't the norm. She wasn't looking like everyone else with these pig faces and everyone used to look at her and go, she's so ugly. Oh, she's so, she's so ugly. She's Mm. she's a pretty little white girl. Right. Um, And then what ended up happening was she went and had surgery to change her face and they changed her into a pig to have a pig nose and a pig face so she could fit in. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. So it's just like flipping the whole, the whole script. So whoever is in power is the, you know, makes the people who are not in power or who's not in the majority feel like the other. And that's going to my book our otherness is our strength. I felt like the other being Latina growing up in the U.S., being a person of color, growing up in a lower economic situation, you know, that made me feel like I didn't belong, especially when I watched television. Mm-hmm. And instead of letting that take me down, I let it make me angry <laughs> and fortify mm-hmm. me and make me determined to use that as fuel to get ahead in life. And, and I find that so helpful. And so going to the message of the book and this whole idea of colonialism, it's really like otherism, you know, mm-hmm. there's like who's in power and then who's the other. And I want, I want to flip the script just like on, on twilight zone and say the one who is the other is the one who can turn out to love themselves. They don't need to go get some surgery to change their faces. Mm-hmm. And, that's what we're doing these days, right? We're changing our faces in some way and shape or form to be quote unquote beautiful or be accepted, all of that, right? A hundred percent. I think it was, I just saw an interview with Viola Davis. I think it was her where she says to see yourself represented on screen is a self, it's almost like you're actualizing your dream of one day being on the screen. And it's such such a powerful visceral experience to see Mm -hmm. like, 
there's a Latina. Like, I know I get excited when I see a Honduran on screen. I'm like, oh, she's Honduran and she's talking about being Honduran. But like, either way, I get excited when I see anyone that's Latina that has a similar experience to me. Even mm-hmm. if it's just like 1%, I'm like, yes. Like, it just feels representation is just so powerful. It's a visceral experience for you. Did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Or did you feel like, like, when was that moment where you're like, I'm gonna claim my Latinidad, my power, my otherness, and I'm gonna go on screen and I'm gonna show the world. Like, did you have that moment or did it kind of gradually come to you? You (laughs) When I decided that I wanted to be an actress, I, I wanted to be an actress for a few things. I didn't realize that at the time there was a lot of stuff operating subconsciously. One, I think I wanted some love and validation and to be accepted subconsciously. I didn't know that that's why I was doing it. I also found that uh, I really needed therapy <laughs> and acting classes and the- and being a theater major was the perfect place for me to express myself, any emotion whatsoever. And it was encouraged. Oh, you're going to be angry at this moment. You're going to be sad at this moment. You're going to be so fucking happy you're gonna jump off something you know you're gonna go crazy (laughs) and that was encouraged it was a safe place to have emotions and so I think ultimately I needed I was in need of therapy because of some trauma that I had experienced growing up and I need to work through those so eventually acting became oh acting is my career and I still need to go to therapy (laughs) I still need to work on myself. We all, girl, we all need therapy. (laughs) I still need to explore my childhood and work out all those (laughs) things that happened. So, so then as I was making my way through my career and having different experiences, which I write about in the book, um, you know, some of them were challenging and eventually I land on Jane the Virgin and I, and I instantly have this platform. I'm like bumped up to another level that I'd never seen in my career before. And I have this amazing social media platform and all these young women, a lot of them Latina women following me and commenting, oh, I wish I was beautiful like you. Oh, I wish I could do this. Like all the, and this like comparison to me. And in some way they were putting themselves down. And it was just so heartbreaking for me because I was like, oh man, if you only knew. And so what I started to do in my my platform was to talk about how insecure I was. Are you kidding me? I just today I was crawled up in a ball crying in my bed, you know, like whatever it is. <laughs> because and then I realized, oh, well, one. Jane the Virgin was what I needed when I was growing up. And now I'm that person. I'm the one representing. So I was, so then I'm like, oh, this, I have a, I have a responsibility here. This is, this is huge. This is not just about me. This is not just about acting or being a famous or whatever, red carpet, blah, blah, blah. None of that. It's not about that. It's about representing. It's about sending out a mess, different messaging and what kind of messaging are, am I sending? And I, and so I realized Owning my otherness, owning where I came from, owning my Latinaness was so important to help others own their own otherness, whatever it is. I I didn't want them to hate themselves or to put themselves down. I know that pain. I know what that feels like. And I and I worked very hard to get to a better place in inside of me. And I want to encourage others to do the same. So Oof. So that's what acting is for me now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's almost like an access to, yeah, it's an access for, for everyone to see themselves represented on screen. For those that are listening, Mm -hmm. they can see you and say like, pues yo también, I can too, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, Exactly. I have, I have a question about, I want to go deeper into what you said earlier about the stage or theater or acting almost feeling like a safe space to have emotions. Girl, Mm -hmm. that hit me because I feel like Latinas, at least the ones I grew up around was like, you are strong. You like run this household. Like there's so many expectations around, I think, Latino culture, but I think we don't talk a lot about Latina stereotypes of not being too soft, of being in control, of being, you know, like, fierce and strong and unfazed, yeah. unbothered, like you got to hold it down. Did you, you feel like you had these Latina stereotypes? Like how did you 
navigate that and how do you portray it in in whether in your in your acting or how do you kind of like navigate it now well i mean i i feel like i was raised by women even though my father was a wonderful man my parents broke up when i was five he was always a part of my life but really it was my mother that was raising me and my aunts and my grandmother those were the women who were keeping it together. And my father was definitely a provider and, and he was great in that respect. But the other men in my family, some of the men in my family, I should say, weren't, weren't keeping it together. It was the women that were just showing up time year that after part. year after year, <laughs> putting that food on the table, the roof over our heads, the clothes on our backs, everything that w- w- was needed. The women were like, like strong. And they had to be. They had to be like my grandmother eight kids, six biological, two adopted, because they were like, you know, whose parents uh, passed away and they took in a niece or a nephew or something. So my grandmother was little, she's still alive. She's a hundred years old. She's a short little thing. And she, oh my goodness, fierce, fierce. Like you do not cross that woman. She will cut you down in two seconds. I mean, literally, (laughs) you know, I feel it. So (laughs) And Certainly the women in my family can be fierce and strong and they can be soft and loving at the same time. They can Mm. go from one extreme to the other. But, you know, I grew up around violence. Not that my, the women in my family were violent, but some of the men in the family were, were violent. And, you know, I witnessed that. And so to me, women could get very angry. I, you know, it was, it was like, how do, how do I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen as angry, but I could get angry. <laughs> Obviously, everybody can get angry. But, you know, it was like, what is that about? And like, how do I, where does that fit in my life? And I, I was so meek and, and like soft. And I, and I had to, I had to learn to toughen up. Because there's some stories in the book you've seen. I, I think you saw, saw it already. So that toughened me up for sure. Um, yeah. But how navigating it was just like, I loved Siomara because I felt like she embodied the women in my family. Mm-hmm. I felt like, especially my grandmother, who totally embraces her sexuality to this day, 100 years old. <laughs> she even has a boyfriend in, in the senior community center that she goes to. <laughs> we, love so we love it. We love it. So, so yeah, I felt like, you know, the women in my family were all those things, strong, soft, kind you know, funny, sweet, all the things. And, and I, I loved playing Siomara because that I totally understood her. <laughs> and I feel like you did it in such a beautiful, authentic way, because what you see for me again, right. We're talking about entertainment. You see media again, it's changing, but what you saw was over-sexualized Latinas, or you saw kind of the other side of it, the help, right? Like service, doing Mm-hmm. cleaning work, cooking, like those are the two roles that you saw of Latina women typically. And mm-hmm. to see a woman that's Latina, because we we love our looks too. There's nothing wrong with yeah. it. Latinas oh, love no, to no, look no, good, no, feel no. good, you know? And yeah. I love that you embodied it in such a real way. I'm like, I love that she's always dressed up, embracing her sexuality. And at the same time, she's yeah. gone through some hard stuff, right? Being a single mom. Yeah. And navigating life as a young mom, and then also at the same time following her dreams, and you just mm-hmm. had this perfect embodiment of what I think a lot of Latina women are, but is not always shown on TV. When I first booked Jane, and we shot the pilot, then we moved on to the second episode. I, you know, I had no idea where the character was going to go, but at face value, she seemed. Like she could be that stereotype, like this over-sexualized Latina woman. And in the second episode, I read the first script and the and it was the, the quinceañera episode where all of a sudden Siomara breaks out into this, my, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, sexy dance in the middle of the living room at Jane's quinceañera. And Jane was mortified. Oh no, Siomara was mortified. And, but... I thought, oh no, this is what they're going with her. Like she's just going to break out into a sexy song and dance for no freaking reason. And then I realized as I keep reading the script, oh, she's doing it to protect Jane. So Jane doesn't see that her boyfriend's cheating on her. And once I saw that, I went, oh, I trust. 
I trust the creator, Jenny Ehrman. She has got the women in, in this show. She has their back. And, and it was never a question, again, about these stereotypes of the characters. So I was super grateful for that. And I know that you also had experiences where you were the Latina stereotype on on television. Yes. Can you talk about those moments that led up to Jane the Virgin? Because there's, there's so much to the story. But what were those moments where you had to kind of tackle the stereotypes a little bit? Sure. So that's one of the stories in my book that I go into way more detail in. But I ended up booking or getting my foot in the door for my first major television role. And it was a big deal to me to be on a soap opera because growing up in my hood, in my neighborhood, the soap operas were like all the, you know, that was all that everybody really talked about. (laughs) Yeah. And so you were like famous or you like made it if you were on a soap opera. And Mm -hmm. I ended up landing One Life to Live on ABC. And I thought she was going to be like just a regular girl. And she turned out to be the girlfriend of a gang leader. And that was really heartbreaking for me. But what I ultimately did was I didn't play her the way they had her written on the page. And I tried to give her like a conscience and heart and just humanness. And um, the role ended up lasting for two and a half years, which was supposed to be a four month gig. So oh I think that 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 experience really prepared me, gave me my TV acting chops, but it also, um, you know, gave me a demo reel, it, you know, put me on the map even more. It, you know, bumped me up some more as, as, in level in my career. And it ultimately led me to to Jane the Virgin, which I think was one of the goals in my life that I didn't know I had. Because mm. <laughs> I think I think Jane was super important. It, it was important for me in a lot of ways. Like I talk about the little girl in me, but so many, so important for other people, so important for diversity across the board. So much more diverse, diverse shows came out after Jane the Virgin, after the success of Jane the Virgin. And I do believe you know, it has a lot to do with that. I mean, everyone, you know, for years have been chipping away, chipping away, like the the Berlin Wall, right? Chipping away, chipping away. And then eventually it's one sledgehammer that gets it, completely breaks it. And I feel like that's what Jane the Virgin was. I like to think so anyway. <laughs> it, oh, girl, it totally was. I think it was the first show that I enjoyed. Again, that was about the culture that people outside of the culture were watching. And it was like mm. conversations I was having with like my best friend who was Hawaiian, who doesn't know yeah. Spanish, but she's like, oh my yeah. God, it's so good. We would just have these conversations. Typically, again, like I would watch cultural TV, but it would be novelas, like yeah. Spanish only. And you know, novelas are a certain type of taste. I'm like, you got to love the drama. And But if you don't if you don't know, like that's novelas and then you don't know the language, there's like an added barrier. Oh, I think this one sure. broke barriers. It was like the Selena of media. I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that. Yeah, you know, even to this day, I get so surprised at who watches the show. Even though it's mainly females, I've seen I've met a lot of men who watch the show, and people, white people watching the show, or non-Latinos watching the show. And I was in the supermarket the other day, online, putting my my groceries on the conveyor belt. And this white mom, blonde as can be, blue-eyed, <laughs> with her son, blonde as can be, like he was a little like image of her. And after a while, she goes, yeah, I think her son was like 10 years old or something. And she goes, we loved you, Angie. She goes, my son recognized <laughs> you right away. And I go, you're sorry. And she goes, yes, we watched that show. I know it was mature for him, but still it, it, it dealt with, with topics that encouraged family conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, that was, that's so great. Like, it's so great to like, that there's a show out there like that, that, um, you know, any culture can like enjoy, receive it. And then families, I've heard this before. It start, started a lot of conversations with young, younger family members with their parents. Mm-hmm. 
a hunch. How did that feel for you out of curiosity? Like, how did that moment feel for you? Someone that doesn't look like you again, it's like the opposite experience. You grew up watching the blonde hair, blue eyes. Like, yeah, how did it feel exactly. for that to be opposite? It's just like Twilight Zone. That's what it's like. It's so surreal. It's like, oh my God. Somebody pressed the fast forward button when I was that little girl mm. watching TV with my aluminum foil antenna, you know, trying to get reception, got to change the channels manually. You got to get up off the sofa and change the channel. Watching, mm. like I talk about in the book, watching Brooke Shields on my on my television set, wanting to be her. And then fast forward and I'm in a supermarket and some blonde hair, blue eyed woman and her little son are telling me how much they love me and they loved my show. It's just mm. like, what? <laughs> it's, it's great. Why old? Why old? And Twilight Zone, the otherness. And I want to quickly touch on I mean, you wrote this amazing book called Our Otherness is Our Strength. And I want to ask you, like, what was the inspiration? Like, what made you sit down? and start writing this book? Well, the main catalyst was that I was invited to give the commencement speech at my high school alma mater, Dewey Clinton in the Bronx, Dewey Clinton High School. And here it was like 30 years later and I'm coming, I'm gonna, I I accepted it of course. And I'm coming to talk to these black and brown kids who were sitting in the same seats that I'd been sitting way back when. What am I gonna say to them? Will they be even, even able to relate to me? I knew a lot of them were going to be fans of the show. They were going to know who I was, but were they going to be able to see themselves in me? Like the reality, like from those seats, do they see a pathway to that podium? Whatever the, that, that podium can represent for them. It doesn't have to be an actor. It could be a scientist, whatever it could be. And I thought I have to share some of my, experiences growing up in the Bronx so they could see that who I am on that television screen is who they are. Like it's the same person that somehow I made my way there and I started to share some of my stories in my commencement speech so that they could see that, so they could see the alighted path in some way. And so after I gave that speech, you know, I, I, you know, there were so many kids that were moved by it and I felt that I wanted to have an, a greater impact. So it was just, you know, audience, 200 kids, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to scale that in some way. And so I had been thinking about writing a book and I ended up pitching a different book idea actually to the editor for Broadleaf Books. And she happened to have seen that commencement speech. It was on, it's on YouTube. And she goes, I saw your commencement speech. I think that could be a book. I think you should you should write a book with that. And then she ended up pitching me to the company and I got greenlit. And next thing you know, I was signing a contract and we rewrote the book. Oh, I wrote the book and she held my hand along the way because I had to get past my own insecurities of not feeling smart enough or like tenacious enough or will I give up? Will I, will I not see it through? Will I be able to like show up? And, and I did. And I'm I'm so proud of myself. If you can go back and tell little Andrea growing up in the Bronx that she was going to write a book about her story and she was going to be on TV on one of the most iconic shows. What do you think she would say to you? Wow. She would go, really? That's so great. Let's do it. (laughs) You know, I even thought about writing a book when I was like eight years old. I remember looking at the craziness going on in my family going, I'm going to write about this someday. (laughs) You know, I could do part of me that could just pull away and just observe it as if it were a movie. There was, I don't know why, but there was always a part of me that believed that I could that I could see it was almost like a, a sixth sense or like being psychic in some ways like I could see it like I feel it in my bones that it's gonna happen and I have to do it like I it couldn't I didn't have an, any other choice it's just, I had to it was like a mission I have to do this 
And what's wonderful about it is that it's not about acting. It's about messaging. It's about ministry. And I see that now in my old age. I see that now. And I'm. it's so much bigger than me. Yeah. You know, my, my little career is so much bigger than me. My contribution is just so much bigger. And it continues. So now I'm going, you know, I end up writing a book. I, you know, I'm getting into the speaking world because I want to continue to share my message. And uh, I think it's pretty awesome that it's just not about aesthetics and being beautiful or red carpet or being famous or celebrity or any of that stuff. It's just getting, getting to a level where it's enough notoriety that people will listen. And then hopefully you're using your platform to, to help in some way. So that's, that's how I see it. (laughs) It, It's about stories, right? It's about the stories that we tell and you're telling it in different ways. So many questions, Mm -hmm. but one of the questions I want to ask you was writing some of these moments, because you talk about really vulnerable things in this book. You talk about not finishing high school on quote unquote, a bright timeline, having an abusive relationship, abusive household. Now I was reading it and I was like, holy shit, the amount of vulnerability that it takes to be so raw in that way. Did you feel like, was there a hesitance with telling your story or being so vulnerable or was there a liberation that came with it? Was there both? Like, how did it feel to write down some of these not so pretty moments in the book? Um, well, it felt somewhat cathartic, not like hugely, but somewhat cathartic and in, in, in a way of sort of like processing some of the challenging things that I've been through. But it also helped me to see how far I had come. And that, you know, like, even though I know my story, when you sit down to write it, and then you look at it and you read it back and you go, whoa, that was, that was me. That I was living that I was going through that. And now look at me and look at where, where I am now. And all the dreams that I had as a little girl, I've actually accomplished a good amount, if not most of them, you know, and it's like, wow, amazing. So to me, it, it was like a record and it was awesome for me to be able to to take a bird's eye view of my life and and see it in that way. The other thing was that the vulnerability comes from a place of wanting to help others off the hook, meaning off the hook of feeling like they are good enough or they're less than, or there's no possibilities for them. They can't because of you know, I could have said, let's put in, for example, I could have said, I'm Latina, brown from the Bronx, who grew up on welfare. The strikes are against me. I guess, I guess I can't, I can't go to college. I can't be an actress. I can't, you know, write a book. I can't do any of these things because, you know, that's just the way it's set up. I could, I could look at it that way. And that's one, why I wanted to share the, share my stories is because to say, this is where I was. This is what happened to me. And I still moved on and forward and didn't let me let it stop me. If, if anything, it made me stronger, especially an acting career is very hard. Just so you know, <laughs> it's a very, very hard career. It's still hard. We're on strike, for example. It's still hard. So that's where the vulnerability comes from is to show people that it's not only them and putting celebrities or whoever, anyone on a pedestal is just doing you a disservice. You could admire people, but they, but they shouldn't be so high that you don't feel you can't reach that or you can, you know, you can, it's, you're capable of doing better in your life. If that's what you want, whatever it is that you desire, you can do it. It's not easy though, but it shouldn't be. Because then yeah. you don't have a story to tell if it's not if it's so easy. <laughs> all true, all true. And you talk about that little girl that always believed. She always knew. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I think it's a clairvoyance. It can be psychic. It can be like a, a just a knowing. You know, innate knowing. Yeah. 
But I think as I'm hearing you speak, it's about what society was telling you. You don't belong mm-hmm. on the TV. You don't you don't belong in a beautiful staircase to home, right? You belong next to rubble and burnt yeah. down Bronx and in this yeah. welfare system. Like I think so many of our, our community feels this like innate power. And I think as a community, I think we're we're so dope. We have a lot of creativity. We have so much resourcefulness, resilience, thick skin. We're funny. We're community oriented. There's so much strength to who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think society tells us in the U.S. tells us different. And mm-hmm. it's not until people like yourself start telling their story and connecting the dots and we realize we're not alone in our struggles and it's mm-hmm. not going to hinder us. It's going to make us throw some elbows metaphorically, right? Like throw some elbows yeah. and be able to ma- tell our own stories, write our own stories, promote our own yep. stories. Like it's just, it's, it's really, it's really that. I think society was telling little Andrea, like, nah, not you. And Andrea was like, no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I also, I like to think of it as angels, little angels whispering to me, go. Like, I feel like, I don't know if I wrote it this way. I think I did. The story about when I auditioned, the first thing I ever auditioned for was in college. And it was like these voices going, go, look at that. Go do it. Go, like, go do it. No, 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 I'm scared. No, 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 go do it. Go do it. And I feel like that's what I I have. Like I have these angels following me, telling me, what's the next step? You want to write a book? Let's write a book. Come on, let's write a book. Mm -hmm. No, I can't. I'm not smart enough. I can't. I won't do it. I'll give up. I know I will. No, do it. Come on, just send that email. Come on, send the email, you know? (laughs) Oh, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of this, this concept that you also talk about around validation. Like don't seek external validation, especially in an industry that's full of rejection and doesn't always capture our stories accurately. But those voices to me, it's almost like son angeles, they're angels. And it's also like your intuition telling you like, no, you got this. You got this. Like, go, go do it. And it almost feels like that internal validation. But again, it's like, what is the external world telling me? Like, I don't know. It's it's a little difficult. How did you learn to listen to the internal validation and the internal angels versus what mm. the external was saying? Well, just for the record, I am not super like uber confident. I'm not an uber confident person. You know, I, I'm still like insecure and I still battle not a lot of negative thoughts about myself and, and, and what I'm capable of doing. And it's this, but one of the things that I've, I've always done was, or I've always had this growth mindset. I don't know why, but as a kid, I always thought if, if I don't have something or if I want, if I, if I want or need something, I have to figure out how to get it. I'm not going to just sit here and just throw my hands up. And I'm, I'm the same way to this day. Like I just have this, this drive in me to improve, to get better, to be the best that I can. And I'll never ever reach perfection. And that's great because the journey is so fun to, you know, like the journey of writing the book is like, oh my God, look, it's tangible. It's something I can touch. Like it actually happened. It was a thought in my head and now it's a physical thing. And now I'm talking to you in this interview. How freaking awesome is that? So I think it's really important to just always try always show up to the plate always swing swing at that ball eventually you're going to hit something you will if you don't get up to the plate nothing's going to happen at all nothing so i think just i I always believe that i always have to show up i always have to show up i have to and what happened after this book came out i'm so curious to hear what people were responding how they feel like they were seen. Did you feel like a sense of like relief? Like it did its job? It's still a work in progress. You know, a lot of people have responded so positively and were surprised to hear sort of like you said, like some hear some of these stories like, wow, I didn't know you went through that, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're, they're really grateful because knowing me as Siomara and then knowing me as Andrea growing up, it, it, it helps to make them feel like 
oh, I, I kind of see myself for real now. Now it's not just some yeah. fictional character on, on the screen. I actually can see and relate and I'm inspired and motivated by, by that. So I'm grateful for that. And that's what it continues to do. I'm, I'm working on a TED talk that's in conjunction with my book to continue to spread the message. You know, when I get opportunities to speak, not always, but when some to some young kids, I want to share the book with them um, or older people too. I, mean, I don't want to limit it to just kids, but I, I want to share the book to those people. And then I my audio book is coming out soon and I narrated it. And what's great is that so many people, you know, recognize my voice from Jane the Virgin. But not only that, no one can deliver the Bronxness the way I can. And it's my story. So I'm excited for people to to listen to the audiobook. Oh my god, I can't wait to listen to it. I already read it, but I feel like when you hear it, it does give a different flavor and sass yeah. to it because it's really your yeah. story and how liberating is it to tell your story, right? Mm-hmm. And to say it out loud and to feel like I, I always share this, like I shared a story on here that I used to be really ashamed of when I was younger. You know, you don't always see the praise of growing up in the hood, of being a Latina that's growing up in a tough area on welfare, on food stamps. Like it's not a story that I, I for me, felt like one that to be proud of, you know? And then I started yeah. to say it and then people started like, yeah, like, no, me too. And I'm here and that's my strength. And then you talk a lot about this, how like for those who are listening, who are growing up in the trenches or have grown up in the trenches and are from the ghetto, the hood, like Southeast San Diego, like myself, or like the Bronx is yourself, South Central. I mean, list goes on and they're dreaming of this, this big dream, whatever it is, being on TV, having their own business, being successful in their careers. What do you say to them? And how do you encourage them and give them advice to defeat the, these external invalidators? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, I, there's so many things that, you know, I could say. I mean, the, my biggest thing, and I didn't really get into it until college, was, was therapy and counseling in some way. I think reaching out for help in one way or another, whether it's therapy, counseling, whether it's talking to, um, you know, a trusted friend, talking to a teacher, talking to a, a, a priest or a spiritual person, or reading books or journaling, talking to yourself, but trying to to parent yourself in the way that you need it. You know, no one grows up perfectly. And so sometimes we need to reparent ourselves and, mm. and, and go back to that little person inside. I don't think that like, no, an unexplored life, like inner life, uh, leads to no life on the outside. You, you will never really be successful or be happy or feel good in any way if you don't really explore your, the inner workings of you, your mind, your personality, and your history. I think that's so important. Don't be afraid of it. It can be so scary because some of us have had really bad things happen to us and it can really affect our mental health tremendously. But I think it's super, 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 super important to take responsibility for our mental health. If we are in a good place mentally, we could do anything. We can. I love I love the message of therapy. Therapy has changed my life. And I know so many people whose lives have been changed by therapy. And I make this joke now that my family has trickle down therapy. Like I I learned something and then I give it to my my brother, my sister, my sister-in-law, my mom. I'm like, listen, (laughs) let me go slowly with you. But, you know, I want to read this part of the book because I was hooked on it. And I read this one part where I'm like, yes, this needs to be like a tagline. It says, take your otherness, your Latinaness, your Africanness, your Bronxness, your immigrantness, whatever your otherness is, and use it to your advantage. Because that's the message I feel you've been sending in anything that you do, whether it's charity work, whether it's Jane the Virgin, whether it's other plays and shows you've been a part of, or this book. I feel like that just needs to be like, like 
plastered everywhere because we need that message and we need almost that that angel that's telling us like yeah dale go embrace your otherness how has embracing your otherness Andrea how has it helped you just live a better life well it's you know living a better life to me is is loving myself really yeah you know if if I'm loving myself and I'm treating myself well at the end of the day, that's a life well lived. I truly believe that. Mm. Um, so often we are our own worst enemies or beating ourselves up, you know, mentally. We're not feeding ourselves well. We're not moving our bodies or treating our bodies in a good way. And it's it's been a long journey. I've, I think I've always, there's always been a part of me that's always stuck up for myself in some way subconsciously and took care of myself in some way. But, you know not 100, not 100%. And, and I've, but I've always, I've always had to stick up for me. It was like, I I needed to be my own, like, savior, I needed to be the one who's going to go come in and save Andrea, forget about my parents or anybody else. And I've, I've taken that responsibility, I've taken the reins of everything that happens in my life, good and bad. Everything, every choice that I make, good and bad, I take 100% responsibility. If somebody does something to me, I'm, you know, I could blame them for what they've done, but then what am I going to do moving forward? I have to take responsibility for me, for loving myself, for my mental health, for my physical health. And then everything, I think everything else falls into place. It can't not. It just can't. I think if the system's built for you, if you stick up for yourself and you take care of yourself, things are going to work out. Mm. And has that helped you in your career? Like that Bronxness, Latinaness, like how has it helped you move in oh, your career? Absolutely. Well, it's like I haven't denied my, you know, my I've embraced who I am. I, I know who I am. Yeah. I, I, I step into a room and I know I look Latina. I sound Latina. I, you know, my name is Latina. Like I, I, I am representing when I come into a room, I am very conscious that when I show up, I am not, it's not just for me. It's for a whole slew of people that are, you know, are going to be affected and they need to see that they need to see all of us need to show up to the plate and go, okay, I'm in, I'm going to swing. Let's do it. I'm going to be that scientist. I'm going to be that lawyer. I'm going to be that this, I'm going to swing. This is the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to represent and I'm going to re- represent well and with class and grit, you know? Mm. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm like, that's the Bronx energy right here. She's like, <laughs> yeah. she's going that's in. What I love, I love the Bronx gave me such a toughness that, you know, even though I was meek and I can still be meek sometimes, uh, oof, I love the strength it's given me and the tenacity and the determination. I love it. But it's exactly what you said. Latina women can be tough and fierce and all the things, but they can also be super soft. And I think it's a balance of all of the things, which I think is exactly what you talk about in your book. What you're talking about now is that your otherness is just, it's its your otherness. I had someone tell me like they had an authenticity crisis and their therapist told them, the only thing that you need to know about authenticity is that it means to just be doesn't mean one thing it doesn't mean we have to be that or we have to do this it just means Mm -hmm. to exist to be and Mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's what we're all looking for is the space to just be and I love that you're like well I just go in there and I'm like listen I learned how to just embrace all this and I think that's what it that's what it's all about right Mm -hmm. is embracing exactly who you are Mm -hmm. yes exactly I love it I want to close this beautiful conversation with the Brindis. I didn't even open my drink because I've been so in this conversation, but I'm drinking this little jazz drink. And I want to give you the space. Andrea, what do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest for our Latino community who's tuning in right now and listening to you? Hmm. Well, I want to cheers our community in the tenacity and the the what they represent like one of the things i i love is i latinos work so hard they are so diligent and determined and such hard workers 
And I love that. I see that everywhere I turn. And yet we'll be accused of not of being lazy and all of that. It was like, well, you get rid of the Latinos. This whole fucking country is going to fall apart. But talk, anyway. talk about it. Talk about it. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, and wait, and what was the rest of it? That was the cheers. Part. So cheers <laughs> to our, our we, Latino we... community and how hard they work. Yes, yes. And what do you want to manifest for our Latino community and the Latinos growing up in the U.S. right now? I want to I want to manifest that they that they love themselves, that they step up to the plate and they try and they 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 tell themselves that they can and that they will. And and I, I want to see it happen. I want to see them continue to show up to the plate and claim what it is that they want in their lives and get ahead and do what it is they want don't 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 stop them themselves love themselves punto mm, y period thank you <laughs> thank you andrea this conversation yes. is so beautiful salute to the manifestation the cheers and to the celebration of la cultura because we really are all the ness the otherness we really are all those things and we're beautiful for it thank, thank you, you so much thank you for having this platform I'm going to see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hella Latino updates, follow Hella Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me on LinkedIn and my website, odalisjasmine.com, has way more information. Con muchísimo amor, familia Abrazos.